Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. We always say it. We always mean it because this is where the best run. I have an interesting buzz quote. Let's see what's new out there. This is from a young man. I call him a young man. He was born in 1971 named David McCandless, M-C-C-A-N-D-L-E-S-S. He's a British data journalist and information designer based in London. He is the founder of the visual blog Information is Beautiful and a his book is a visual miscellaneum. We'll just leave it there. Interesting guy. Here's the quote. Listen up. This is going to surprise a lot of you. It's not what you expect. He asks the question, data is the new oil? No. Data is the new soil. I thought that was very clever. So what are we talking about today? Well, Let's look at big data. It has crashed slam bam into the business world. It's taking competition to new levels. Companies have all of this data. What are they going to do with it? How are they going to mine it? Pull out those insights, those look aheads, those predictive analytics. It's not just stuff sitting there in a lake or a pond or an ocean or a pool. You need to use it to stay competitive and stay alive in your industry and the world. So question on the table. Can your organization benefit from all this data? If you don't have qualified data science resources, think data scientists, such as an entire data lab or pedigreed experts, that means well-trained people who are experienced, to navigate and take advantage of new technologies. We're talking AI. You know from listening to us, that's artificial intelligence and machine learning and deep learning and Internet of Things. They're out there. They're available. You may have them, but how do you use them? We have good news. There are packaged application software or application software packages that have lowered the skills barrier to mining the data. I have a panel of three experts. If you listen to, and I hope you do, our recently new series, Game Changing Predictive Machine Learning, which debuted in the middle of this year, 2018, you will have heard these same three brilliant minds on that show with me. Let's see, that was back in uh, August 8th, 2018, just a few months ago, and they're back for part two, and they're going to tell us how anyone can successfully use data analytics tools. That's good news. And we might, if we're lucky, if I ask the right questions, we might find out what they wish they had known when they began in the data world. So welcome. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, Coffee Break with Game Changers. Our flagship series started October 5th, 2011. Oh my, where have the years gone? Let me tell you who our three panelists are, and then we'll start hearing from them. Chris Carter, welcoming him back, founder and CEO at Aproyo. We've had him on many shows many times, and we'll find out what Chris has been up to. Joining him is Jason Olson, analytics specialist at Kimberly Clark. Welcome back, Jason. And rounding out the panel is Samantha Wong. She told me to call her Sam. So we'll have Chris, Jason, and Sam. And she is a product manager for predictive analytics at SAP. Welcome, panelists. And Chris Carter, you're up first this time. You have selected a very familiar quote. We love it from Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Douglas Gretzky, Gretzky, CC, born in 1961. I think of him also as a young guy. Canadian former pro ice hockey player and former head coach. Played 20 seasons in the National Hockey League for four teams from 1979 to 99. He's been called the greatest hockey player ever. There you go. And here's the quote. 
you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Chris Carter waiting patiently. Speak. How are you, Chris? I'm very well, Bonnie. Good to talk to you again. Thank you. You're very kind. Chris, we've had you on. I think I met you a couple of years ago on our series, um, Startup Focus with Game Changers, when you were a little bit newer at starting Aproyo, and you've been on so many of our series. So, Chris, I love the Gretzky quote, and our topic today, let me mention it officially, is I have to do this with a, a theatrical tone, Chris, so forgive me. Business analyst by day, data science hero by night, part two. So, Chris, now tell me, how does the Wayne Gretzky quote apply? Uh, I feel it applies literally every day because if, as a data scientist, uh, if I'm not trying, I'm not going to be able to make the next new activity. Uh, and even other individuals or companies with their tools, if you're not trying, you're never going to know. And, and it's, it's, to me, that is such a fascinating trait. If you are not trying, how do you know it's not going to work or it's going to fail? And I always say fail fast. Well, in big data, I can fail fast and use the tools to help me fail fast to make my succeed uh, as I move down the pipe. So it, it fits perfectly for what I do. Well, thank you very much, Chris. And we're going to find out more about what you've been up to at Aproyo since we last met a couple months ago. But tell me something. As far as far as our topic goes, business analyst by day, data science hero at night. In my opening, I mentioned anybody can be a data science hero. What's your thought on that? Is data scientist something people learn in one seminar, one webinar, one semester, one quarter of training? Is is the software so good, without mentioning specifics, that anybody can get excited about mining data? What's your thought about the shots you don't take because you didn't realize you could do it well, Chris? So they can't do it in just one quarter, one week, one seminar. But if you start taking and start growing and learning and using these tools, you can become deeper and deeper of a knowledge expert. But it does not happen overnight. But as long as you're willing to try, you can get there further, further and faster with the new applications that are out there. Thank you very much. Good, good insights, Chris. We have a lot to learn from you. And now let's go around the table just a little bit to Jason Olson and Kimberly Clark. And Jason has sent us a quote from Creighton Abrams, A-B-R-A-M-S, Creighton Williams Abrams, Jr., 1914 to 1974, U.S. Army general who commanded military operations in the Vietnam War from 1968 to 72 and saw U.S. troop strength in South Vietnam reduced from a peak to of, wow, over 500,000 to just under 50,000. He was chief of staff with the U.S. Army from 1972 until he passed away. And there's a building named after him in Germany, the IG Farben building, named after Creighton Abrams. Here's the quote. Everybody listen up. I think you'll know this one as well. When eating an elephant, take one bite at a time. Jason Olson, welcome back. How have you been? Ah, I've been pretty good, Bonnie. Thanks. How are you? Uh, well, thank you for asking. That's very kind. I've been great, and I'm so happy to be speaking again with you and Chris and Sam. So talk to me. What elephant are we eating when we talk about being a data analyst? Yeah, you know, I've, I've used this quote a lot in my, in my life before I knew it was from Creighton. Um, but uh, it really just talks about the journey that, you know, machine learning is and, and uh, how one of the biggest challenges we face is getting our business analysts to be comfortable, uh, you know, with the idea that they can do some of this themselves. 
Um, and, you know, because it seems, it seems so overwhelming to look at, you know, where you need to get in the end. Uh, but the reality is you just need to start taking steps. You just need to start eating that elephant, you know, one bite at a time. So tell me something. Do you agree with Chris that it's not going to happen overnight getting to be a data scientist, but over time you will hone your skills, you will get better at it? What's your thought about the time frame? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, there's some basics that you need to learn and you can learn very quickly. Um, but every time you do it, you, you, know, you get a little bit better at it. Uh, you learn something new that you didn't, you didn't know before. Uh, you start to see things in the data that you didn't know existed, and they kind of lead you different directions. Uh, yeah, so it's, a, it's a, a continuing journey of you know, learning and growth, and, um, and eventually you look back and you don't realize you know, how you even got there. Um, so. That's interesting. That's an interesting comment. Tell me something, Jason. Is there an excitement about doing this? And I'm referencing back when I was a programmer analyst way back in the day in the, I won't tell you which decade, but there was always an excitement of solving a problem, of using code. I coded in uh, Fortran and Assembler, and then I went on professionally to COBOL and PL1. There was an excitement of deciphering a problem or coming up with a solution. Is there that excitement in the new profession or the new avocation for some people of being a data scientist today? What's your thought? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, the, the very first prediction that you kind of do on your own and you, you see come out of a you know, machine that, uh, that you just gave it some inputs is a really rewarding thing. So, yeah, you know, definitely there's, you know, there's certainly a a you know kind of big prize at the end of uh, you know being able to complete one of these. Thank you very much. Good to have you back on. Thanks for answering my question. And now let's move a little bit farther around the table to Samantha Wong. Sam, she said I could call her again, and she sent us a quote from the very colorful. Freddie Mercury. I didn't know his full name, Sam. It's Farouk Bulsara. He lived from 1946 to 91, died very young, known professionally as Freddie Mercury. British singer, songwriter, and record producer, best known as the lead vocalist of the rock band Queen, known for his flamboyance on stage, and he had a four-octave vocal range. He wrote hits for Queen, including the very famous Bohemian Rhapsody, Killer Queen, Somebody to Love, Don't Stop Me Now, Crazy Little Thing Called Love, and We Are the Champions. That's all I'm going to read. Anybody who doesn't know Freddie Mercury, look him up. You'll find it right away, and he's actually on Wikipedia. Here is the quote, Sam, you're going to have to explain this one to me. Freddie Mercury said, If you see it there, darling... Then it's there. Sam, how did I do on that? Decent? You did great, Bonnie. Um, Thank and you. The reason why I chose the quote was actually I watched the Bohemian Rhapsody movie on the weekend, so I thought it was very relevant. Um, this quote in particular is very relevant to me when we talk about analytics, because typically in a business intelligence world, we are trying to find answers to questions, and it's very often we have um, a preconceived notion about the answer to that question. We already have an hypothesis. So when we're using analytics, we're trying to find data that supports our hypotheses that we already have. So very, very relevant to if you think it's there, then it's there. Um, in a data science world, we have to let go of that and let the data truly speak for itself and find the patterns that are there statistically, not necessarily based on our gut feeling. Very interesting. Sam, I think you're talking about what we we talk about on our radio show. I'm doing a new one this afternoon at 2 p.m. here, uh, Changing the Game 
in HR, with HR, and we talk about built-in bias. We talk about the unknown biases we have, and that it's an interesting question. I've asked it on many of our Game Changers radio shows to our panelists. If humans are writing the code, writing the algorithm so far, I think there's still humans involved in the process. If, if we're writing the code, there are some biases in us. There are some expectations, as Freddie Mercury said. If you see it there, darling, then it's there. How do we get around that? How do we do we discipline ourselves and say, well, I'd really prefer it to be in red, but eh, we'll do blue today just because it's not my favorite color. How do we get those biases and those preconceptions out of data analysis, those hypotheses that you mentioned? Sam, any thoughts on that? It's a very good question, Bonnie, and I'll be very honest, I don't 100% have a black and white answer for you. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of bias in the way that we are engaged in the analytics process and there's no way to fully remove human bias unless you fully remove humans from the process. So even if we're not the ones necessarily writing the code, we're still directing or inputting the data that's going to be used to train a predictive model. So what we can do is try to remove as much bias as possible by providing as much data as possible to the algorithm and letting the algorithm decide what's important and what's not. But at the end of the day, if the human is still involved in the end-to-end process, we can't guarantee that they won't. there won't be some bias that's introduced in that process. Very interesting answer. You know what? I'm going to go around the table before we ask everybody, where are you calling from? What's your favorite beverage and what it, what's up with you and your job? So, Chris Carter, thoughts on what Sam just shared with us in terms of how do you get that human bias? Let the machines decide. Chris, I know you have a thought on this. Oh, I absolutely have a thought on that. Um, you know, the letting a machine decide anything and everything is never in my wheelhouse. I fully believe that a human needs to be involved, but the humans are not as evolved as a machine is evolved. Mm-hmm. Look at the different complexities that are built with the different cloud solutions and how fast they can come up with data and they can manipulate data. A human will never be that fast, but you do need that human interaction to be able to understand and control what that machine is bringing forth to you. Thank you very much. Interesting. Uh, Jason Olson, let's get you in on this. Agree or disagree with anybody? Or what's, what's your perspective on machines are smarter than us? We created them, but let them take over the decision-making in terms of expectations of, of postulations. What do you think, Jason? You know, I think they're, I think they're both right. I mean, it's the, it's the intersection between letting the machine do the work and letting the human bias come in that is, you know, sort of the um, ideal spot to be, I guess. And, uh, you know, we've seen it kind of both ways. We've had, you know, we've had projects where you go forward and you come out with a result and it, it doesn't agree with their bias and they completely discount it. And, you know, we really have to then take an approach to, to really kind of hone that in and explain with the data why that is possible because it just it just goes against what they expected it to be um so finding that happy medium between the two i think is the real the real sweet spot there thank you very much appreciate that sam look what we started there we went around the table on a really great question i'm going to go back to chris carter chris you know what's coming next where in the world are you today what's your favorite beverage that powers you i'm looking at your your smile i was a a guest at an event you had at sapphire last year in in orlando and i appreciated that nice to meet you and your team so what's the drink that makes you the happiest and fuels your energy chris carter and the third question is what is new with you 
and Aproyo. Chris. So what is fueling me today is Death Wish Coffee, which is what? the coffee that is 10 times stronger caffeine than any other coffee on the planet. And I'm, uh, I'm about to get on a plane to New York today, so uh, I'm uh, currently sitting waiting for a plane. And what is new with us is the fact that uh, we've grown, we've moved into a new corporate headquarters, and we are Ooh. working with SAP and the SAP companies to really support their initiatives with S4 and Anhana and big data and analytics. And every day I get to do my dream job, which is working with those companies on big data and analytics, and it makes me happier every day. That's a wonderful thing. I, you are a happy person, I can yes, tell. I'm a little surprised yes, at, your, at your coffee choice. I looked it up. Actually, Chris, deathwishcoffee.com. That's their website. Yes. And, of course, no surprise, it's a skull and crossbones. It says, Death Wish Coffee is created by using the strongest combination of beans at a perfect roasting process. They say, awaken, Chris, this is for you. Awaken your inner rebel with the world's best, strongest coffee. Be the best you can be with the clarity and focus that comes with strong coffee. Raise your coffee standards with one sip. Enjoy a smooth, never bitter taste with subtle notes of cherry and chocolate. Kick bad habits with something just as strong but 100% natural. And we will refund you in full if it's not the strongest coffee you've ever had. I wonder if they make it for an espresso because <clears throat> that's what I use for my coffee maker. You think I can get some for, for an espresso in a pod? Uh- Sure, why not? Let's try. They have death cups. It's not the right shape. I'll try and f- I'll find out if Nespresso is carrying. Chris, thank you, and we're glad you continue to be very happy at Aproyo, and thank you for joining me. Let's go around to Jason Olson at Kimberly Clark. Jason, you're up. Where are you today? What do you love to drink? Something interesting, I hope. And what's new with you at Kimberly Clark? Jason. Yeah, um, so I'm in Nina, Wisconsin, which is about 30 minutes south of the frozen tundra of Green Bay. Um, so y'all of you, you know, Packers fans out there, that's, uh, you know, that's where I'm at. Uh, as far as my favorite drink, and, you know, probably what I'm going to have this evening is a um, a nice little beer from Sierra Nevada uh, Brewing. It's a hazy New England IPA called Hazy Little Thing, or Hazy Little IPA, I think it's called, something along those lines. Um, you know, so it's a little bit of a citrusy kind of IPA that that's, you know, that's really kind of my, my favorite area for, for beers. I've got it. Hazy little thing. IPA Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. As brewers, we get the privilege, excuse my throat here. We get the privilege. Oh, what is it? When what's my birthday? No, no, no. I'm old enough to go into a beer website. We'll do that later. Anyway, anybody (laughs) wants to look it up. uh, It was the beer of the week in February 11, 2018 at the takeout. Dot com beer of the week Sierra Nevada hazy little thing IPA and I think that's a takeoff on the song Jason crazy little thing called love remember that yeah I believe it probably is okay there we go a little rock and roll reference there so tell me what's new with you at Kimberly Clark well you know we're just trying to get through the end of the year here and get some of our initiatives completed um, you know we're uh, you know we're continuing to ex- expand into more and more machine learning so lots of fun opportunities there and and uh, you know opportunities to kind of grow your knowledge um, and uh, you really uh, drive some uh, some benefit for the company as well so Thank you very much. You know, what's interesting is I just Googled, of course, crazy little thing called love, and it's by Queen, and Sam just sent us a quote from Freddie Mercury. So, 
Oh, sometimes the threads just all just tie up so nicely around the table. I don't know how we did that, Jason, but thank you very much. Very well done. Sam Wong, talk to me. Where are you? What's your favorite drink? You've got two interesting drinks ahead of you today. And what are you up to? Well, Bonnie, I am based in Singapore, uh, so it is currently 12.30 a.m., so oh I am drinking a matcha tea uh, to keep me awake and keep me alert for this call. Uh, it's from Japan, and it's very tasty. It gives you a nice, calm caffeine um, donation into your blood, so that's what I'm on today. I like that, a donation into your blood. That was uh, we, we could have called you if you had sent me a phone number, but whatever you're calling on, the line is crystal clear. So thank you so much, Sam. Very, very interesting. So what have you been up to as, as a product manager for what we're talking about today, predictive analytics at SAP? Sam? Well, Bonnie, um, for the rest of the year, we've been working very closely with some key customers to understand how they want to use predictive analytics, some of the challenges that they have with using predictive analytics, and we're taking all of that feedback and building it into our products to make them more user-friendly, and really, as this whole uh, topic and this whole show is about, is really how do we enable business analysts to be comfortable with data science and to really get hands-on, be excited about creating their first predictions, and we're building all of that feedback into our product. Thank you very much. Let me go around the table one thing before we take a break. We're, we're running really well on time here. Chris Carter, who should be encouraged in an organization, let's say a mid-sized company, when they're just getting on board with predictive analytics, when they're saying, wow, we've got these seas, these lakes, these oceans, these, these looking pools, if you will, of big data swirling around, and we have to literally get to the bottom of it and see what we can do with it to grow, to be competitive, to be smarter, to be intelligent. Who should be given the cape, if you will, to be that data science hero by night or preferably by day in their day job? Who, sh- who are the ones? How do you select the people to do it or is it self-assigned? Chris? Oh, no, it's definitely not self-assigned, but if you're okay. looking from the technology perspective, from a business side, who's going to be there from a technology side? Who's going to be there from a, an analytics side or a database side? You know, you want to find the people who have got a a passion for it. You know, I look in my team and I see the folks that have got a passion for it. And some of them are on the business side, some of them are on the technology side, some on the finance side. And really to be able to match them up with where we or the customer wants to drive that type of information and data. And being here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, it's also who can battle the snow to get into it, but it's, uh, <laughs> thank God it's all cloud-based. <laughs> there you go. Jason, also, what are your thoughts on the same question? Let's go around the table. Who should wear that cape? Who should wear that, I don't know, whatever the getup is for this data scientist at night? Who should who should do that? Yeah, you know, I, I really like to get it in the hands of the business analysts wherever, wherever possible. And the ones that I like to find are the ones who have a really deep understanding of their business and, and you know, kind of understand how it acts and, you know, what drives it and, and you know, when you make a change here, what's the impact in another place, those kinds of, you know, deep knowledge. Um, but then I also like people who have a little bit of technical aptitude because you do still need a little mm-hmm. bit. You, you, know, you still need to be able to know how to get into the tools and feel comfortable doing it. Um, but then the, the, the last two things are, are first, a, a genuine curiosity, just, you know, mm-hmm. really wanting to, to dig into the data and, and start, you know, sort of start to follow the threads 
and see where they take them um, and what and what results they find. Um, but then finally, a willingness to fail, uh, but yet the confidence to succeed. You know, so we want them to be able to to you know, know that their first attempt may not work, their second attempt may not work, but maintain that confidence that after you know ten attempts, uh, they are going to be successful. I like that. You said it takes, I was trying to tweet it and I just, oh yeah, you see, genuine curiosity, willingness to fail, and the confidence to succeed, plus some technical capabilities, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Okay. Sam, we've got an interesting job profile there. What do you think about what Jason just said? I completely agree, and Jason stole all of my answers. <laughs> <laughs> but absolutely, that determinism and that tenacity to keep going. I was just working on a, a project with one of our finance customers recently, and I had to build over 29 versions of my model before they were satisfied. So it's Whoa. absolutely about continuously trying, but being able to do it with the right attitude, still being able to have the agility to test all of those different models and really work with the business to make sure it suits their needs. Because it's it's a balance between the technicality and is this actually going to be applicable in our business? Very interesting. I think we have a job profile here. We're going to have to post that somewhere. Thank you to the three of you. Guess what? You've worked so hard. I'm going to give you a break. So we're going to go out for about 90 seconds. And when we come back, Chris Carter is going to be ready. He and I, together on the break, are going to pick one of his roundtable statements he gave me before the show. We're going to see where we take the roundtable. If you're just tuning in, welcome to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, creator, producer, and host. Started this show on October 5th, 2011. And hard to believe, but this is episode number 348. I'm probably the only one who knows that. Our topic today is business analyst by day, data science hero by night. I think we need to make a movie. And my special guests are Chris Carter at Aproyo. Look up his company, A-P-P-R-O-Y-O. Jason Olson, O-L-S-O-N, if you want to find him. Kimberly Clark, you know where to find them. And Samantha Sam Wong at SAP. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Aaron out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com business news and discussions are always changing in order to stay ahead of the game sometimes you need to be a follower you can follow the voice america business channel on twitter at voice am business again that's at voice am business and stay current we're making it easier to listen to the voice america talk radio network wherever you go In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand, all from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. 
Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Yes, let's. Welcome back. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I went around the table with Chris Carter at Aproyo, Jason Olson at Kimberly Clark, and Sam Samantha Wong at SAP. And I forgot to tell you where I am and what I'm drinking. And so let's just go with you all know no caffeine is allowed for me on radio show days. But I'm going to go out and find some Death Wish coffee, Chris Carter. I really want to try that. I like my coffee very dark and strong and clear and nothing in it. And uh, today in Durham, North Carolina... I'm afraid to ask Alexa because she will actually tell me from the other room. But it's another cold, dreary, rainy kind of a day. Overcast, there are little specks of clouds in a very, very gray sky. So winter has descended early. We put plastic bibs over the hose out outlets on the outside of the house a couple days ago and we've been dipping down right around 32 the past couple nights all of the plants are in from the porch and the garden anything in a pot came in so there you go there's a weather forecast in durham looks like i'm in for a very cold wet winter chris carter time for the round table thanks for letting me do that chris wants to talk about customer experience he told me before the show quote when we talk to a call center and expect to get a human customer service rep, we may be talking, quote-unquote, to a very smart robot. In our buying research, we may read articles written by a machine. So let's talk about how our data scientist comes into play in this, uh, shall we just say, this new experiential scenario that so many of us are having. Chris, talk to me. You're right. Uh, As a matter of fact, I was just on a call this morning I needed to have a conversation with somebody for our company, and it started out with a very smart computer, but it was not smart enough because it was not allowing me to ask the question that I needed to ask. And so we were having a problem between machine and human. And unfortunately, the algorithms sometimes are not to the point that they are. And Mm -hmm. with AI right now, um, there was even a, a article and I'll have to find that article again to send you, Bonnie, was in regards to artificial intelligence. As much as people talk about it, it's not moving forward as fast as people keep saying it is. And so when you look at the combination of AI usage, taking that data analytics from behind, it still showcases that the need for us and our customers and the customers in the the global sphere still need to have human interactions. It can only go to a certain point with the usage of AI and big data, and then people have to get involved. And it goes back to my point I made a little while ago, which was the fact that I still believe that machines are great for the churning and the burning and the getting the information for us as human beings, but it's always going to be a point, at least now, maybe when I'm dead and gone in 100 years, there there will go. be to a different point. But that activity will still need to have some manual and human interaction to make things move forward. Thank so you. So our Interest- customers see that as well. Yep. 
Mm -hmm. Interesting perspective. It's something we're all dealing with now. Jason Olson, love to get your thoughts on this. Machines, people, who's doing those algorithms behind the scenes? How do we know? Yeah, you know, it's. Um, I, I think it's it's a little bit interesting because you, as we as we go further and further, people are expecting there to be, um, you know, everything to be automated. And you know, the reality is that it's. It, it, are we ever going to get there? Yeah, we probably will eventually. But kind of going back to my original quote, it is it is one step at a time, um, and uh, you know, for now, uh, you, I think these things do need to be, you know, just sort of a an additional tool that, that will help you to, um, you know, to provide value to, uh, to whatever business that happens to be, in this case, customer service. Um, you know, so I think it's, it's just kind of you know, one step at a time. And uh, you know, right now, we still do need that human to be there, and we need that to assist it. Will we ever get to where it's not required? I don't know. Maybe we will. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, it's, I think it's still a little ways out. Thank you very much. Sam Wong, what do you think? Uh, it, it's a really great topic, Bonnie, and I, I tend to agree with both Chris and Jason on this where we absolutely are nowhere near a place where machines can be fully autonomous. Mm -hmm. But I think where data scientists and sort of the business analyst comes in, and this comes back to what Jason had mentioned before, is really at this point in time, um, while we want to automate things, we also as a business need to understand the return on investment or the value that that automation brings. And Ultimately, we need a human to explain it to us in the context that we understand. So a lot of the, the algorithms that you read about today, you've heard maybe about unsupervised learning or deep learning, mm -hmm. where we're just supposed to throw data at an algorithm, and it's supposed to show us some aha moments and exciting things. When it gets down to it, when it gets down to a business user looking at the results, they need to understand why something is being predicted or why something's being suggested. So I think when we advance or as we advance along that journey, the business analyst becomes crucial in helping get uh, to get machine learning adoption because they can explain what's happening with the algorithm to an extent. Thank, thank you very much. Chris, I'm just going to circle back to you briefly to see if you have any comments on what Jason and Sam added to your topic before I move on. Well, I'm glad that they agreed with me. <laughs> there you go. Okay, Jason, I'm looking at your notes here. Let's go here. I think we've covered a couple of your topics already. Uh, let's talk about the critical piece that must be put in place before you can really start doing machine learning is a solid data infrastructure. Talk to me about this from the business perspective. Who, who, I'm always asking these questions, Jason, the people behind these statements, who is the one who has to put in place this solid data infrastructure? Whose job is it? And how, and what is it? Yeah, you know, I think, I think this works best as, um, as an IT function because, you know, it's a, it, it's a fairly technical job to go out and to obtain the data that's required, uh, you know, to get that data cleansed, um, you know, to get it prepared in the right format for some of these self-service tools for them to be able to use it. Uh, so I think it, I think it still stays as an IT function, but it's not something that happens mm -hmm. in a box. I mean, we need to be engaged with our business users. Uh, you know, we need to be understanding, you know, what type of analysis they're going to do, what things are driving it, um, you know, so that we can go and we can get the appropriate data and we can get it prepared for them appropriately. And, if all of that's done, you know, that's, 
that's the vast majority of the time in any kind of data science effort is is that you know that data prep data cleansing uh, work so if that's done appropriately you know then you do enable it where a business analyst can go out and they can start to use some of these self-service tools they can do it quickly you know we've cut off that that 70 80 percent of the time and now they're free to just go and play you know kind of play with the data see what they're you know see what kind of insights they might be getting out of it so we talked earlier start to you know, start to follow the threads and see and see what they might be able to learn from it. Thank you. Interesting. Sam Wong, agree, disagree? What do you think? Completely agree. It is absolutely an IT function, and I, I can speak from experience that when I'm working on a predictive project, I have no idea what some of the table column headers are in a very technical database. And so I need to partner with someone who understands that to translate that into business terms even before we begin starting with a, a predictive project. Um, as well, I think it's an ongoing relationship too. Um, predictive projects and, and these machine learning data science projects are not a one and done type of project. It's continuous. The data co- continuously comes in and updates. We still need to update our models. So even working with IT to say, not only is this the data I need at this point in time, but I need to, we need to work together to understand when this is going to be updated, when can I have access, all of those things. So it's absolutely a partnership between IT and the business analyst, but primarily done by IT. Thank you very much. Interesting. Chris Carter, going around the table to you. Thoughts? Whose job is it? Sam is 100% correct. It is a combination. It needs to be a team effort because at the end of the day, the business owners are not the ones that are going to be able to understand the data. And just as she made comment in regards to the headers and the data and such, you've got to have a total team effort. That's why I made the, the point earlier is I'm looking for not only in my company, but in also in the clients that we work with, who's the one that's got a passion? Who wants to drive and be a part of that from the business side, from the technology side, from the database side? and so on, to be able to work together and to build that team that really wants to dig through that data. And that's where we see the real, the real success coming out. It's the team that's coming forth together. And that, that just makes, makes me even happier than I am today with my coffee. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Jason, you want to top this one off for us? Any thoughts on what the other two just shared? No, I mean, I think, I think we're all kind of, you know, aligned on that. It, you know, is there ever going to be a point where, you know, IT is not going to be required for that? Um, I, you know, you may get there, but it's, it's still, there's a, there's a lot that goes on, a lot of complexities in data that unless you see it a lot, um, you're just, you're, you're not going to know how to handle it. You're not going to know how to structure it. Um, and that's, you know, that's where IT, you know, comes. So, you know, less report building, less, you know, dashboard creating, things like that, and more, you know, data cleansing, you know, data prep and getting that ready for, you know, for business analysts to do. Thank you very much. Good topic. Sam, I'm looking at your notes here, and I'm going to combine a couple things I think are interesting here. So just bear with me. I'm combining a couple of the headers of your topics, and then we'll see what you have to say. Number one, you say there is a stigma around data science being extremely difficult. That's statement number one. Number two, you say people often ask you, how many algorithms do you have, or what algorithm do you use? And number three, you say one of the beautiful things about data science is that there is not always a right 
answer. I liked all of these. Sam, you can tackle this any way you want. I just thought they went together very well. So talk to me. What about the stigma? What about the, how many algorithms do you use, Sam Wong? And what's so beautiful about not always having the right answer? Oh, so many things to say, Bobby. (laughs) Um, But when it comes with, uh, let's let's start with the first topic around a stigma around data science. And Mm -hmm. I absolutely still see this with our customers. I still see this with some of the colleagues that I work with, it is a very intimidating topic. And there are tons of experts in the world who are data science trained and have PhDs in mathematics. And it is very intimidating to enter this space. But the whole point of technology and what uh, companies are doing today is really creating these self-service tools to allow business analysts to go ahead, explore, experiment in a very agile way so they can fail quickly, but also find success very quickly. So again, that I hate to reference it again, but a, a project I worked on recently of building 29 models, I don't have a data science background at all. I actually have a marketing degree um, from a Canadian university. And just being able to experiment very quickly and see where I've gone wrong and self-correct, that really helps me learn. It's more of a, a learn-on-the-job kind of situation with these self-service tools. Thank you very much. Go on to the next one then. Algorithms. How many of you have? Do you keep them in your wallet somewhere? Sam, where do you keep your algorithms? <clears throat> <laughs> Again, with, with um, a lot of the self-service tools that we see out there, the focus is not on choosing the right algorithm per se. It's more about identifying the right kind of problem you're trying to solve. And with these self-service tools, they'll decide what the right algorithm is, and they'll help you with some of the the data science uh, things that you need to do, such as data encoding, and I won't get into the weeds. But um, in terms of the algorithms, they're highly specific, and each of them has their own individual characteristics that you need to be aware of. It's impossible as a business analyst to know all of the algorithms in the world, and therefore it's not necessary for you to know them. As long as you know what kind of business problem you're trying to solve, technology and vendors are stepping in to create the right kind of tools to help fill in the blanks for you. Thank you. And what about the beautiful part? I love the way you say one of the beautiful things about data science is that there isn't, is not, I-S-N-O-T, always a right answer. A lot of people would say, what? And, and Jason mentioned a few minutes ago one of the skills or qualifications to be a successful data science scientist is to be able to fail often, to have agility, to keep trying. You mentioned the patience and the agility to keep testing different business models. So what's so beautiful about not always having the right answer, Sam? Absolutely. It's it's quite funny because data science is fundamentally based on mathematics. And in math, there is always a right answer. Uh, but with data science, it's not necessarily always the right answer because you need to, again, understand what the business is trying to achieve and find the right balance. Sometimes the most accurate algorithm or um, the most accurate result is not necessarily what you're looking for because you actually want to uh, understand something about a new market that you don't have data on or you want to be able to not only predict with accuracy but also apply it to other customers and see if it still works. So there's um, a concept in data science of balancing accuracy with the ability to be robust, to generalize to other uh, individuals or generalized to other concepts. So it's always a balance between the two. And as you experiment, you'll begin to see what's the right fit for the business problem you're trying to address. 
Thank you. Let's get some input from Chris Carter. Chris, anything of what we discussed with Sam <clears throat> as far as the stigma around data science, uh, around the algorithms, how many have you got, where do you keep them, and what's so great about not always having the right answer? Chris Carter, love to get your thoughts on this. Fascinating. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with not getting, always getting the right answer. That is so true. But every wrong answer is a step in a direction that you're looking for. You know, as, as they once said in regards to Einstein, you know, he failed millions of times, mm-hmm. but he was able to succeed based upon those failures. And that's yes. what I see when I do analytics, and I'm looking in my little bag of tricks, and I'm trying to find different components. It is so awesome to find that little hidden nugget that you weren't looking for and to be able to understand that it came from a completely different concept or mind direction that you, were, you weren't even addressing at that point in time. And then all of a sudden, there it is, and it just, the whole room goes crazy, or you're going crazy at 3 o'clock in the morning because there's the nugget. And it may be like that pink diamond that just got sold to Harvey Weinstein or Weinstein, Winston Jewelers this past week, or it could be a little teeny tiny nugget that all of a sudden you know that once you start wiping away more and more, it's going to become that size of that pink diamond. And that's the great thing about failing and failing often and failing fast with big data with with the machinery. And so I love having that activity. Very interesting. What about, uh, what do we cover? What about the, the beauty? What do you think? The, is there an excitement for you, Chris, in what you do in, like, like you said, Einstein, in trying and trying and trying again until you know you're on the track, you know you're going to mm-hmm. try different variables, and, and you know you're going to get there. You're going to get an answer that's usable or workable, and then you might even get a better answer. Does that keep people in your business going, keep you moving? What, what does it do for you? That intellectual some, curiosity? Yeah, uh, intellectually, yeah. it stimulates me, uh, but I'm, I'm that type of a, a nerd, so I like that. And there are others who are always looking and striving for that type of activity, so it's fantastic. Uh, I, I strive to find information. I want to help mm-hmm. better people, companies, the world, things around us. Uh, so I'm always I'm always excited for those little nuggets. Some big nuggets are great, but I'm always looking for those little nuggets as well. And uh, I think it's wonderful. Thank you. I I hear the the joy in your voice. Let's get Jason Olson in on this. Jason, what do you think? Agree? Disagree? The stigma, the beauty of not always knowing the answer, the excitement of finding something, learning something, pulling that nugget, as Chris said, out of the data. What's your thought? Yeah, that is an exciting thing, isn't it? Like, there's, you know, you, we had a, a project a while back that uh, we were looking at, and and they had been just using a, a huge spreadsheet of data and just kind of, you know, mining through it and, you know, just just filtering however it felt like was right for them and trying to uncover relationships. And, uh, you know, leveraging some of these tools, we, we were able to put the data in and very quickly identify, you know, what are the relationships between them? And all of a sudden, we were able to raise to the top, you know, which things are, 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 are actually, you know, um, uh, causing uh, failures to take place. And everything just became crystal clear to them at that point. Not that they didn't have an idea that that's what it was, but to put some science behind it 
and to put a level of accuracy on it and say, hey, we're, you know, we're 80% confident that these are the ones, um, that just, it completely opened their eyes and it, it sort of, you know, changed the way that they went about, you know, uh, doing that analysis in the future. Thank you. Sam, this was your set of topics, so talk to me. Anything you want to say back to Chris Carter or Jason Olson about their answers? No, just I, I guess adding to the conversation is um, absolutely finding that little hint of, oh, could this lead to something? And I'm going to keep pulling on that rope and eventually finding the golden nugget, which is um, that aha moment is absolutely the most exciting part about data science. And I think um, coming back to there isn't always a right answer, that answer can always be enhanced. And we don't necessarily know how to enhance it, but if we perhaps add extra data or we add third-party data or external data about, you know, web surfing history or um, how you're interacting with certain products on an e-commerce site, you can always play around and experiment and there's always room to grow. So I think that that's what I meant when I said it, it's beautiful that there's not always a right answer because any combination of data can always lead you down a different path. Very interesting. I, I remember the excitement of taking a blank sheet of paper back when I was a programmer analyst and saying, okay, I have the skills. I know how to use COBOL. I can code 2,000 lines on a, on paper over a weekend, have it running on a Monday morning. But the excitement of being the one to find the answer that would write that report or would answer those questions or would pull that data. I was coding for the community college uh, system in the state of Oregon for several years. And there was such an excitement of knowing that my solution would probably be different from anybody else's how I got there, but I would still produce the answer we were looking for. Chris, any thoughts on that? Let me just quickly go around the table before we get to predictions. Chris, that that yeah. uh, originality, what do you think of that? Oh, it, it started back in the days when we had cobalt. The originality was there and having that as part of your mindset going forward and, and Sam just made a, a great comment about how it's always changing and evolving and moving forward. That's all part of our originality. We're trying to find mm -hmm. that little piece, and that yeah. little piece then is going to grow into something different or something bigger or something newer, and it's all a part of it. It's wonderful. I love it. Thank you. Good. Jason Olson, quick. And Chris, get ready with your prediction. I'll give you 60 seconds, but let me find out. Jason, what about that thought about that originality that I'm going to tackle this? I'm going to find an answer. Yes, it'll be my way of getting there, but we'll be able to use it. What's your thought? Yeah, if, if, that's, if that's the kind of thing that drives you, which it is, then I think this is exactly the right thing for you to be doing. Um, and if it's not, then, you know, maybe it's not because you, you – you do need to just keep digging. You need to have that, that you know, that um, uh, motivation and that and that determination to really get down to it, and to want to you know kind of prove something. Um, yeah, so I think it's I think it's absolutely critical. I think it's a great thing. And uh, if you feel that, I think I think this might be for you. Maybe I should be a data scientist if radio doesn't work out. <laughs> Sam, really quickly, we have four minutes to close. Chris, I'm going to give you 45 seconds for prediction, but I think we're almost there. Sam, thoughts on this, this sense of excitement, exhilaration, and I'm going to find my way to get there. What's your thought? I think it's, it's, it's a very exciting thing that's going to lead to a lot of um, people considering 
data science again and really opening up a new career path for a lot of people. So I think uh, as that you. as people begin to share all the great things they're doing, you see a lot of people sharing all of the cool data visualizations that they're building online. We're going to see a nice wave of excitement around data science. I like that a lot. Okay, Chris Carter, 45 seconds. Predict, and I'd love if your prediction included who will be the candidate pool for the new wave of data scientists. Will it be the millennials, the X's, the Y's, the Z's? Who will it be? Go ahead, predict. 60, oh, 45 seconds, Chris Carter, Aproyo, go. So it's going to be the, the, the kids who are in college now. They're the ones that are going to get ingrained and involved and want to find out more. The mathematicians, the data scientists, or the technologists who want to create the new companies and the new wave of the future. I see AI falling down a little bit, and I see data mm. analytics moving forward much greater, and I see more companies getting involved with analytics and understanding what their business can do, why it can do it, and how it can be. And I can't wait for those new kids in college to come out so we can teach them the directions in the past and they can teach us new ideas oh, and concepts. Very nice and have them teach us. Jason Olson, 45 seconds. What's your prediction, please? Fast. Yeah, you know, I, th- I, I completely agree with what, what Chris said. I think... I think that, uh, that 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 new wave coming out of college. We have an intern program here, and um, you know, in that intern program, we see some some kids with some some really great potential and this this you know, genuine curiosity. So I think they are going to be the ones that are going to drive it forward. Um, and really along those same lines too, I I think what I think the other thing we're going to see happen is 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 people starting to back away from this expectation that. Um, you know, machine learning algorithm or, or you know, maybe AI is going to tell them the complete answer. Um, I think it's going to become more of an augmentation to it rather than, um, you know, rather than the answer. Thank you. Sam, 30 seconds. Predict fast. I got to close. Go ahead, Sam Wong. No worries. I'm going to throw you a curveball and not necessarily talk about the future data scientists, but I think that we're going to see robotic process automation come together with some of the work that these data scientists are doing to really have the data speak to you and tell you what is happening in your business versus you having to ask. Thank you very much. Great predictions. I want to thank Aaron, our engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio, for getting us on the air and keeping us there. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Come on. Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Chris Carter at Aproyo, just like Jason Olson at Kimberly Clark, and just like Samantha Sam Wong at SAP. Have a great day. I'll be back 2 p.m. Eastern right here on the Business Channel. At, well, let's see, we got Changing the Game with HR, and we have another great topic. So tune in live. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.